This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Maria Rote, the now former and retired Federal Deputy Chief Information Officer for the federal government. Maria, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for taking the time. Hi, Jason. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, Greetings from the uh, great outdoors. Let's start with the beginning. First of all, congratulations. You have retired after a long and and really illustrious career that you've spent both in, in the federal government civilian sector and obviously from your time in the Navy. So I always like to start at the beginning. Why now? What made you decide to retire? And, and, uh, what comes next? Wow. You know, I always, uh, I was at SBA for what, almost four years. And I always thought I would retire from there because that's where I I became eligible. And, you know, going way back, I always thought, oh, you know, be really cool to be a federal, you know, a CIO at a federal agency before I retired. So while I was at the SBA, I thought, oh, okay, you know, became eligible while I was there. And uh, I, I thought, that's where I would retire from, you know, thinking I would be there for a couple of more years. But fast forward, you know, one of my peers reached out to me and said, hey, the deputy job would be opening and would I be interested in? And that's really how I landed here and how the ball got started um, uh, ending up in this job. So, you know, instead of retiring from SBA, here I am retiring from from OMB. So I've been eligible for a few years. As far as what's next, for the folks on the radio, I'm sitting outside of my porch enjoying the great outdoors. I am taking a break, Jason. (laughs) I've been running hard for a long time. I have some travel plans already, looking at some hiking trips. And after I get a few things done around the house here in the next couple of days, I plan on hitting some of the local hiking trails. Uh, Certainly my hiking boots and my pack haven't seen much use the last few years. (laughs) Without a doubt, both at SBA and when you're obviously at OMB, uh, it's it's a six and a half, seven day a week job. It's 12 to 14 hours a day. Nobody underestimates that. So you deserve some time. I mean, was there any reason why you picked now to retire versus six months from now or six months ago? Is Is it just the spring's coming and let's get outside? I mean, like, like, was there anything specific? I think it's timing, right? When you look at the federal CIO who's coming in now, and when you look at timing, getting another deputy federal CIO in there, allowing for transition time, you know, if I'd waited another year, I don't know how long Claire would stay, but you always want to make sure that whoever your successor is has time under them so that, you know, when there is a transition to the federal CIO, the deputy is there and they're prepared to step up. So I think timing wise, I always thought I would retire sometime this year, but it was a matter of thinking about what the timing would be um, and understanding succession planning as well for the next deputy coming in, knowing that the federal CIO, Claire, won't be there forever and making sure the right deputies in place to take on the acting role as needed. And just to be clear, you're not saying she's leaving. Let's be clear on that. You're just saying that role we know is a tough role and, and people tend to say, 18 months, two years, maybe two and a half years. So this, I'll, right. clarify, I'll clarify that so no one thinks. Yeah, yeah. timing wise, we know what the, the timing is, Why you know, for federal CIOs, you know, like you said, 18 months, 24 months, two and a half years. But having that transition time for another deputy to get their feet under them as well, I think is really important. Who's going to be the next deputy, right? Right. I have no idea. I mean, the announcement closed not too long ago. So yeah, the process is underway. 
I know we'll all be watching it. And I know this is a, a, a position that many people look at as both a great one, but also one of the hardest ones because you're kind of in the middle of everything. Let's maybe talk about your career a little bit, your time as uh, the deputy federal CIO, and then as well as uh, where else you worked. You mentioned SBA. So how many years in government, federal service, including, I guess, your time in the Navy? And, and, and how'd you get there? A little over 40 years of continuous military and government service between my active duty time, reserve, federal service. It's actually been 41 years, Jason, since February of 2081 when I signed up for delayed entry. So there you go. <laughs> it's been a long time. Yeah, you know, being in the military, interesting computers. I think I've been um, worked at a lot of, of different agencies, working for DOD for, what, more than 15 years in many roles, many different roles. I'm not going to go through the whole list, but I don't know that I've ever had the same job twice, working both for in the military, you know, going through that career of 26 years, as well as, you know, civilian doing different things all the time, whether it was CIO, CTO, who gets the opportunity to run a federal wide program like FedRAMP, one of the first federal wide programs. So being able to do, do many of those things. And I, and like I said, I don't know that I've had the same job twice. It's always been different and my career certainly has as zigzagged. And I think that's what's allowed me to get to where I am, just having the exposure to so many different roles and so many jobs and not always technical because I've been a chief of staff at DHS CIO. I've been a CISO, been a program manager for software development, developing the secure flight program, just doing a lot of different things. I really think helped me to get to where I am, you know, today and being curious, certainly, and moving around and learning and staying on top of technology as technology changed. Walk me back a little bit and start with how did you end up in the military right out of high school, right out of college? And how did you end up in the technology world specifically? Was that, hey, we need someone who wants to learn computers and you raise your hand or they said, hey, you have the aptitude, you go there. That's what the Navy told you. Walk me back some early career uh, decisions. Yeah, that's, that's funny because when I was in high school, now I'm dating myself going back into like 1978, 79. There was a program, anybody who grew up in New York, they have what's called BOCES, uh, which is your like your tech ed, you know, where you they had cosmetology and architecture and, you know, car repair. But they also had a computer where you could learn computer programming. And my junior year in high school, I said, oh, this looks kind of interesting. Let me take that because I was always a math person. I took tons and tons of math courses. And so I learned how to program my junior year in high school. And coincidentally, my cousin, who was about almost 10 years older than me, was working in a computer room. And I thought, well, this is kind of cool. And he showed me what he did. And, you know, there was lots of blinking lights and tapes. And my cousin showed me, this is what I do. And I thought it was interesting. But, but as I got to my senior year in high school, I realized that the colleges were not teaching anything related to computers, really. There was some programming and assembly and things like that, but they really weren't teaching. But the Navy, guess what? The military was already operating in computers. And that's what, that's why I signed up at 17 years old. I joined the Navy and um, became a, my first job was a tape librarian, Jason. <laughs> all the big tapes and working in a big room with lots and lots of tapes. And uh, and then from there, just working on mainframes and getting into operations and networking after that. So that's really where I started. And when I got off active duty, I had um, I stayed in the reserves, but I got a job as a GS3 as an office assistant. And then it, back to where I was 
on active duty, I got a GS5 computer operator job working on mainframes. And so from there, I think I was really fortunate getting into some career ladders, you know, GS567 jobs, 579s, things like that. So I was able to grow my career through through career ladders. Um, so moving through, as technology changed, uh, going from operations to PCs to, you know, pulling cables and network engineering and and just continuing to build and, you know, having the opportunity to work on, you know, things like global enterprise network management programs, um, even back in the 90s, running global programs like that, just being able to jump in and, and learn as I go. That's just been um, probably uh, one of the things that that as I've taken on jobs, it's never anything I've done before. I might know one thing, but I don't know all 10 things required for the job. So, you know, taking on those roles and continuing to be curious and learn. So I've been probably every grade in the federal civilian <laughs> that you can uh, think of. I've been pretty much every grade in some of them twice, but just continuing to grow and, and build. But being a Department of Navy in a number of commands, as well as um, in the federal civilian space with more than 10 years at DHS. So it's been it's been quite a journey and being able to touch a lot of different things in public service. I want to uh, talk about that career a little bit. It's it's a great reminder. I mean, a lot of us think of you as at SBA and a lot of think a lot of us think of you as the federal deputy CIO. But I mean, you and I first met, I think you're at the transportation department and I think you were this chief technology officer there. And then we got to know each other more as you as you took on the the mountainous program called FedRAMP for cloud cybersecurity in the early days of cloud and much different today when people actually didn't really understand what cloud was and why it could be secure. How how did each of those positions and you can go back to your Navy days too kind of lead you and and kind of set you up to be the deputy uh, federal CIO? I work for Navy Medical Information Management Center for the detachment down in Norfolk. And I, that was really my first exposure to a lot of enterprise programs, right? I got to, from the ground up, I was responsible for all the, the entire network for um, building. And we built out the first networks for Navy Medical, you know, the first networks, the first computers, you know, this was, we were talking 2.4 circuits and 9.6 circuits, right? That was a big thing at the time. I've been in every Navy hospital, medical and dental clinic on the East Coast in Europe as we were building out all of those networks and those infrastructures. And, you know, when you think about a global enterprise program, and it was the early days of network management and monitoring, which was where I got my first exposure to running a global network monitoring and management, right? You talk about CDM today, but this was really where you had to put manually put tools and capability together and you didn't have AI and you didn't have machine learning and it was a very manual process and you had to build the databases and things like that. And I think some of that work was really the networking um, and, and that global perspective. When you go back 20 years, that was really foundational to all the work now and, and, and how it's sometimes the same and how it's really leveraged more of the capabilities. So, you know, being involved for what, seven years for Navy Medical, being part of, you know, having the corporate knowledge of how Navy Medical and then of course, TRICARE and, you know, all of medical going joint, going purple, if you will, having that foundation and all of that exposure, I think it really laid the groundwork for moving into things like FedRAMP, right? Fast forward to FedRAMP. Um, 
and having an understanding of cloud and capabilities and what that could be and the potential of that. I think, you know, going back to the 90s really set me up for being able to run a federal wide program like FedRAMP because I already understood networks. I understood architecture. I had the background. I had the engineering behind it. But FedRAMP just took it to the next level, right, wrapping the security around it and having been a CISO before that and really understanding the compliance piece of it. And when you pull all that together, you next thing you know, I'm standing up really the FedRAMP program, but I didn't have a learning curve and being able to just walk in the door and really understanding cloud computing and technologies. I got it pretty quickly. And there really wasn't that steep learning curve. Marie, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Maria Rote, the recently retired and former now Deputy Federal CIO. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Maria Rote, the recently retired and now former Federal Deputy CIO. You went to SBA, and, and you were a popular person at SBA because you were honest, you are candid, you talked about burning bridges behind you. You're not going backwards. You are always a great quote, so we appreciate that. So sometimes you probably, what did I just do to myself? But uh, maybe talk a little bit about your time at SBA. I mean, you really transformed that organization in a huge way and, and something that the pandemic, all that work you did in 2016, 2017, 2018 really paid off during the pandemic. Maybe talk about the SBA just a little bit. Coming into the SBA, you know, I was at FedRAMP and then I went to DOT as the chief technology officer. That's where I got, I picked up my SES there as a CTO. And frankly, I was pretty happy as, there's a theme here. I was pretty happy what I was doing. And then something came along, by the way. But I was at the CTO at transportation, you know, learning about V2V and V2I and smart cities and connected cities and learning about the pavement you drive on and the connected vehicles, all, all of those things. And, um, you know, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, I saw your resume. You would be really good at SBA. And and I'll be honest, I think it was Margie Graves who told me don't take the job. And I did anyway. <laughs> but taking that on, you know, I did my homework and I, I read all the publicly available material. I looked at all the audits. I looked at what GAO and the IG said, and I and I still took the job. But, you know, I learned over time that I'm a builder. So I'm in the construction business and I can take something and, and build it out. And, and I can see to say year one, year two, year three, year four, here's where we're going, right? That's what you do as a builder when you're in construction. And I walked into the SBA knowing that they were behind the curve in technology, that they did have a lot of issues around networking, you know, the infrastructure itself. And certainly the first year, was very focused on the foundational, the foundational, whether it was building the workforce, building the team, building out the infrastructure, building out the foundation so that come year two and year three, partnering with the business and expanding the capabilities. I understood coming in, I wasn't there three or four months. I did a public speaking engagement. And one of the first things I said at that was talking about a 360 view of a small business and how SBA intersected with businesses. And after I was there for a while, I really understood how all the counseling programs, but I got it when I, when I walked in the door after I was there a couple months and I had that aha moment and said, wow, we could get to a 360 view of a small business from when they start, from when they get their loans to you know somebody is a veteran coming off of active duty you know, getting training on how to start a small business. And then maybe five years later, they get some counseling, but really bringing that picture of together of all the touch points that small businesses have 
with the agency. And really, as I was not only building out the technical foundation, really keeping in mind the big picture of SBA is a bank, right? It is a bank, but also it provides all these counseling programs. So marrying up the technology with understanding the business, we were really able to to really take some big steps and work with the business and make sure that we were putting the technology in place that would support not only the people, but also the technology. And, and I'll also add on understanding the business of SBA that, that they are in the business of helping disaster survivors, right? Those loans for small businesses and homeowners, right? If they can't get a grant through FEMA for homeowners, if they couldn't get a grant, they could get a loan through SBA and building the technical foundation to be able to expand so that when you surge for disaster and you bring on 2000 people or 2,500 loan officers and bringing that in, having the bandwidth and the circuits and the infrastructure in place so that you can surge um, to be able to support that. And, you know, those first couple of years and really focused, especially the first year, the honing in on the foundation really allowed us three years later, three and a half years later to support um, with the pandemic, the the capabilities, right, the technology infrastructure to support the surge of getting out billions of dollars in grants and loans for for small businesses um, as as the pandemic, you know, things were shutting down and those businesses really needed really needed the money. So that journey at SBA was not only focused on the capabilities internally, but it was also that external serving the public. I'll tell you, while at uh, SBA, we were also kicked the tires a lot. You know this. We kicked the tires a lot and questioned and partnered with folks like CISA. And I was the co-chair of the innovation committee asking those what if questions, because when you come into an organization and you say, I'm going to build something, but, you know, I am going to think about it differently. I am not going to do the same old, same old. How do I leapfrog and take some very big steps, not little steps, do some very big things. And this is where you mentioned, you know, burning the bridges behind us because we were making some big changes very quickly and very fast within SBA not only supporting our users, but the public as well. So we moved very quickly and looking at a federal enterprise wide, you know, kicking the tires on a different way to approach the TIC, the trusted internet connections. We were the first agency, we loaded up the CDM in the cloud, right? Because I didn't, didn't want to put any more hardware on-prem, um, working with Mark Neitinger, putting CDM in the cloud and then saying, you know, this isn't working for me. With my background around enterprise management, you know, I I was able to take on cloud-based tools that leverage machine learning and AI and leapfrog above and beyond and having the insight to my network that CDM could not provide me. So really working with CISA on the what-if scenarios to say, well, I can do this. How how are you going to move CDM in the future to be able to do these next stage of using AI machine learning Um to really secure your environments. Two things stand out to me about your time at SBA. First, you didn't settle for, well, we've always done it this way. You, you, you took on this, we have to think differently because of we need to move faster. The second thing that has stood out to me in many ways is, I think related to that is, you opened the door to a lot of other thinking around government. And did you think like what you were doing at SBA at the time was gonna 
expand out to other agencies or were you just like well i'll jump off the ledge because i need to and if people follow great if not that's you know nothing you can do about it <laughs> it's probably a, a little bit of both the workforce piece let me start there you know with the people there you know everywhere i've worked i really you know, something you learn in the military right you know i made chief in the navy one of the things you get drilled into your head take care of your people you know that take care of your people and i've always tried to look out for people and let them grow and you know you look over the last you know four six years you know even before that you know it's it's been tremendous to see folks like bo hauser he was the CISO. he took on he got his ses at census bureau and it was great to see him jump over there and take everything we did with SBA with him. And then he made it better, right? He made it better and he did more things. And Guy Cavallo took the learnings that we did. We were not perfect at SBA. We, there are things that didn't work and we just vectored and said, okay, we'll try something else, right? Great. We did that. But guys, taking what we learned at SBA about being innovative and being creative and kicking the tires on things and he's making it better at OPM, right? He took that playbook and he's doing it, doing even more. Nagesh over it, over it, you know, one of the components over it, commerce. But I think I let people kick the tires, right? I told him, and you've heard this before, I don't look good in orange jumpsuit. Outside of that, go forth and do good things. I set the vision at SBA. Here's what I think we're doing year one, year two, year three, year four. Here's the targets. You guys are smarter than me. Let's figure it out. And um, allowing people to do that and and taking that, taking that, you know, looking at Melvin Brown and James Saunders and Andrew Fabrizio and a lot of the others and, you know, Mike Palmer and many others, they've spread out across the federal government. But I hope and I know they've taken away that you can kick the tires in the federal government. You can turn things upside down some still stay within the lanes, but be very creative and not just technology, but in procurement and acquisition. If you've got a good partner in the CFO, in the acquisition space, that really understand that, yes, you don't have to do things the same way and be creative. And, and I love that that these folks have stepped out and gone to other agencies and, and taken on just leadership roles. One of the things that, that I think we I would definitely want to hit upon is, is that advice to other CIOs. And I think that's that's where we start with this question is don't let don't don't be afraid to kick the tires. There's, there, you have a lot of leeway, that risk aversion that we often talk about. I know it's always been a little frustrating to you because it's not like, again, stay away from the orange jumpsuit, but everything else we, we can kind of work through together and and fail fast and don't waste a lot of money. Understand what you're going for. What are your goals? I mean. Is that when you talk to other CIOs and, and when you get the call you know, six months from now after some good R&R &R and, and someone says, hey, Maria, I need some help or do you have any advice for me? Is What are some of the things you tell kind of current and, and future CIOs, agency level or even the deputy? And I also think it not only just, you know, taking risk, right? It, don't be afraid to try things. Just start small, right? Try Try different things. But I would also tell them that not only about taking risk, but building on your partnerships, network with your peers. I didn't learn everything I did by myself. You know, I was the first one to reach out to another CIO and ask questions and say, hey, do you have a policy on this? Do you have, have you done this before? What about this? That network in that community, I would tell other CIOs is, is not just the risk, but that networking piece is so, so important with your peers across federal government. The, the CIOs, 
also, as you learn things, share it. When we were doing the work around that, you know, really rethinking what CDM could be, we shared with everybody. You know, we had brown bags. We shared with people. We had working lunches. And we brought in other agencies, not just CIOs, but others to share our learnings. And I think that's something we need to do more of across the federal government is share what we've learned, right? You look at NASA. Um, the, there's a project they did, um, Ron, um, over there, where the inspection uh, for an astronaut's glove, right, took 130 hours of manual data, uh, people working, looking at that data to say, you know, the glove on an astronaut's suit passes inspection. They were able to take that and, and move it to the cloud, apply some AI to it, and they could do it in five or six seconds, just a few seconds. How do you take that learning and what you did on that inspection and apply that to other areas where people have to do inspections? Department of Labor, the VA, EPA, and others. How do you share the learnings? They're not inspecting gloves, but they're inspecting other things, even USDA, right, with food. How do you take that learnings? And I would tell the CIOs to stay connected with each other and share that and share their learning, share the code. There's no reason you can't do that, but talk to each other and and share as well. So not just take risks, but learn from each other. Marie, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Maria Rote, the recently retired and former now Deputy Federal CIO. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Maria Rote, the recently retired and now former Federal Deputy CIO. I know that you all have taught when you were at SPA, talked a lot about the those meetings over I want to say Sky or Sanjay mentions, you know, 80, 100 meetings you've had over the CDM in the cloud and the cyber tools and changes to tick that you went through. Was that something that you did because you experienced that somewhere else and it worked well? Or did you just get so many requests from agencies asking about it because you or, or your, your your team spoke somewhere and you said, hey, we should start kind of doing this more formally versus just whenever we speak somewhere? Because I think... A lot of times folks in, in the role of CIO go, I'm just too busy. I don't have time. I would love to meet with people. And and they just, they feel so overwhelmed by the amount of work. Because as you talked about, you've been running hard for, for more than a few years at OMB. You've been running hard for several years at, at SBA before that. When we were first kicking the tires on some of the things like the tick and, you know, how to, to think differently about monitoring and management of our environment, we showed it to a few people to include, you know, Suzette Kent, who was the federal CIO at the time. And they were like, this is kind of cool. And with the creative team I had, and a lot of them I had encouraged to be on other working groups, right, communities of practice, I said, are you showing this to other people what we're doing? Because I don't see anybody else doing this. And so the team started doing that, right? So Sanjay is the CTO showing other CTOs. The CISO showing the other CISOs what we did. I remember um, showing the CIOs what we were doing. So we started small showing people and we got some interest in it. And then we just started growing it from there. And I think that was what it really took was a couple of people saying, well, this is kind of cool. And, and we just took it to the next level. And I think this is where, you know, I mentioned you try something small. Hey, there's some interest in it. Hey, this is kind of cool. Nobody else is doing it, but guess what? You own the licenses for what we're already doing and you don't have to spend any more money. Right. I didn't invest any more money. 
this is how you can exponentially change and take some huge steps on what you were doing without spending any more money because you already own the licenses and you could already doing it. You could already do it. And I think it was a matter of showing it, but showing a few people where they said, oh, this is kind of cool. That's where we grew it from and really shared. Is this both one of the most frustrating things about the federal CIO, the federal community more broadly, is that inability or, or that not inability per se, but that that you have to have the desire, the time, the effort. It, it, it takes a little bit more to do it. And, and someone has to encourage it, right? You encourage Guy and Sanjay, you encourage OMB folks that you worked with to get out there and talk. But if it's not coming from the CIO or some agency leadership, is, is that, or is there, you know, beyond, we can talk budget, I'm sure, and we can talk uh, other frustrations, but it's, you know, when you talk about uh, frustrations and, and challenges you see going forward for CIOs, is, is that making those connections to each other the, the biggest one for you? I made the space for them I, and I encouraged the team to share what they did because I felt it was important, right? We had a lot going on and our plates were really full and we were working a lot of hours, but I wanted the team because they were excited about what they were doing and they had a lot of passion. And I think it was important that, that I make the space for them, allow them every few weeks, a few hours, you know, or every other week or however often they wanted to do it was to make the space to do it. You know, and not just have heads down into, you know, it's all about the SBA and we're just going to do our jobs and we're not going to do anything else. But to share what we did and make the space for it and allow them the time to do it. And I think there has to be more of that across the federal government, allowing the time. And some of the CIOs do that, right? Participation in the various CIO council committees and the working groups, uh, the communities of practice. But I felt I had to allow them and make the space for it because they were so energized and there was so much passion around it. And every time they they learned a new thing or a new capability came out in these cloud-based tools, they were the first ones to say, oh, cool, look what we just did. We made it better. And And they wanted to share about that. They wanted to share it and they wanted to talk about it. And I think creating the space for them to do it was just so important. And I think that comes to, you know, culture, how you run an organization, how you be innovative and creative and allow people the space, not only to learn, but to share what they're learning because they're excited, they're excited about it. What would you like to see change about the federal IT sector, community, current processes and, 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 and approaches for federal IT? What would, you know, if you could wave your magic wand, what would be one or two things you'd like to see change or improve? So a couple of them I started when I came up to OMB, right? One of those about interagency collaboration. I just felt that I've been after that for years about why, I, even while I was at DOT, you know, we got all this FedRAMP and cloud-based capabilities and why can't I chat with my CTOs across federal government, right? And at SBA, we were kicking the tires on that with the EPA and NASA. We were already trying piloting some of that work and going to... Um, Moving up to OMB, I said, great, we're going to turn this into a thing and into a program. And I think, you know, talk about changing federal IT, continuing that work about interagency, collaboration, communication, keeping in mind the federal enterprise, but also really getting things out of the way around data, using each other's data to make things better for the public. That's ultimately about what we're doing. And I think one other area, and and I really think that 
we really need to take a hard look at around the IT community. And this is something that I just did not have the bandwidth or the time I was involved with, you know, some of the capabilities. But this gets to all the IT and cyber workforce programs. There are many of them, right? You've got the CIO Council, the Workforce Committee. You've got CISA doing cyber training. You've got the National Cyber Director, right? That office, multiple parts of OMB, the Chicos, doing lots of stuff with, including USDS, right? IT, cyber, workforce programs. Some of this is self-selected. Some of it's designated by law or guidance. But what... I, I always thought that what if there was a federal wide IT, you know, workforce strategic plan that brought a lot of this together that incorporated recruiting, right? True marketing, not just USA Jobs or LinkedIn, true marketing like DOD recruits for the military, right? But requiring, looking at rec requiring agencies, right? OMB could do this with their magic wand with a policy that says, you know, Require agencies, this could be part of the strategic workforce plan to reconvert some of the higher graded GS 1415 positions, turn them into career ladders at the GS 579 or 791112 grades to bring in digital native high school and college students from the, at the beginning of their careers, right? Take a college student and put them in a career or a high school student, I'm sorry, at the GS 579 level. Put them, put them in a career ladder. They're digital natives. You got to teach them. You got to train them. But you could trade in G, two GS-15 positions and the money with that and get three maybe or four GS-579 levels. But think about uh, a strategic IT and cyber workforce strategy for the federal government and how it recruits and retains. When you look at the data and the number of 20-somethings in the federal government and IT, the numbers, the percentages are really low. And it, I think, Jason, it might be less than 7% or something like that. There are just a, not a lot. And I know people are going to come and go from the federal government, but if somebody leaves as a GS-9, but yet they want to come back later into the federal government, why aren't those career ladders there to, re to be able, to, you're not just bringing in people at GS-15s, but you're growing that workforce from lower grade levels. I, I get the discussions about the pay disparities, those kind of things, but taking that in mind, I think one of those things, if I could, you know, work on something for the long term, it would be a, a federal IT and cyber workforce program to bring all of those things together. I think a lot of people, what they like to see is this ability to say, hey, where will I be in two years and five years and seven years? And if I know that I have a path, then I'm more attracted to maybe come to an organization and stay a little longer versus I got hired at a nine and how am I going to get to an 11 or I got hired at 13 and the 15s and SES openings aren't there and I'm just going to be stuck here at a 13. So I'll leave. That's part of what you're trying to get at is, is give people that, that path, that, that you see what their future looks like. I think that's important because when you look at, you know, I'll use USDS for an example, right? A lot of those folks come in for two years and they're on a term appointment, but they find out I really love what I'm doing for the federal government and public service and they really like it, but yet they are, you know, 30 years old maybe or 30 something and they want to stay 
but where do they go? How do they grow their career when they, they're a 30 year old and they've been a GS 15 for two years or four years? What's that career path for them? For them, it's, you know, get another GS 15 if they can, you know, uh, move around or do they go back to the private sector? And I think that's, that's really what I'm getting at is in exactly what you said about having that career path and being able to do something. I think it's great you know, bringing people into the federal government, you know, and infusing a lot of that talent. But we can't forget about growing people in the government who maybe like myself or others that really love what they do and maybe want to stay and not jump back and forth with the private sector. Marie, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Maria Rote, the recently retired and former now deputy federal CIO. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Maria Rote, the recently retired and now former federal deputy CIO. What's on tap? What's the to-do list look like for the next deputy federal CIO without obviously uh, uh, spilling too much of the sensitive material? Now that the budget's out, at least we know what's in the budget. I don't have to ask you about that. But if you get a call from, uh, I could throw some names at you, but the, you you wouldn't confirm or deny those people. But uh, somebody who's interested in the job or someone who's about to maybe take on the job, what, what should they know about that role? And what should they also, which is some of the things they should think about, about how to kind of accomplish the next set of goals? A couple of things, Jason. One, learn how the sausage is made at OMB, right? I knew some of it being at the agency level for a while. I just didn't know all, all of the ingredients for the sausage. And certainly over the last couple of years, I've had to learn about the budget going through a couple of budget cycles. So pay attention to the budget cycle and, be a strategic thinker in that because right now the work I did in the budget set the stage for 23, 24 and moving into 25. So whoever's coming in really needs to pay attention to the budget cycle and where they, it's not moving the needle for just next year. It's moving the needle for the out years when you're thinking through budget. I would also, you know, uh, whoever's coming in, Really build out the relationship with OMB, the desk officers in the office of the federal CIO, the relationship with the agency. That is so important, not just the desk officers, but for the deputy, whoever comes in, to build the relationship across the federal community, not just with the CIOs, but with others. I think that's really important in staying connected and in staying in touch with them. Right? It's about working on the relationships. Have those relationships with the CIOs. Keep in touch with them. You know, I I always had half of them, I think, on speed dial, you know, texting them and, and things like that. And because the community is so strong and it, it is so connected. And certainly I could not be successful without having the relationships with the CIOs. So my advice to the next uh, federal deputy is to really build out those relationships, either personally or with with the team, with OMB, the folks in the office, with, you know, all of the agencies um, across the board. And from a, a maybe more of a next level down, a policy slash project slash initiative perspective, I know one of your passions, you talked about it earlier, was was setting up this collaboration tool across government. So Murray Roque could see agency access CIO's calendar and, and not have to six emails back and forth for a meeting. Uh, where, where is that today? How close are you to rolling it more broadly? And then what else could they, what other things could they pick up and run with other projects, programs, initiatives? 
Yeah, the uh, since we stood up the PMO, this is the first iteration, right? You know, building out the interagency collaboration because most of the federal governments in 0365, right? So I think uh, walking out the door, all but five of the CFO Act agencies were able to be connected, right? Or they were in some semblance of being able to chat with each other. Some of the agencies were already doing it. And I think whoever the next deputy is, continuing to build on that because it's not just about the CIOs talking to each other. It's about the entire federal government. How do you bring in the governance and bring in more tools and more capabilities, continuing on that and and building that out? So when I left, a ton of really good progress by the PMO and the agencies. I hope that that I don't know who the next executive champion is going to be. And if that's going to be the next federal deputy, yay. Or if that's going to be one of the CIOs that's got a passion for it. But I still think that that's a game changer across the federal government, having that collaboration, being able to work collectively and collaboratively across agencies on different documents. I also, um, uh, you know, continuing to build on the other project that I was very focused on, which is around um, data standards, the technology business management, the taxonomy, continuing to build that out and standardizing what data OMB collects, because I knew coming in, that OMB didn't do a lot with the data that it collected from agencies on the quarters and what was reported on the dashboard, but really thinking through having a vision of the entire IT portfolio and where all the money is, not just what comes through the budget, but through you know the CARES Act and the ARP and, and all the rest of the funding that's out there, really having a broad picture of the IT portfolio. So, um, you know, whoever comes in next, I hope they continue to take that and continuing to build on that. Speaking of uh, IT and, and, and budgets and transparency, a lot of frustration with the uh, IT dashboard change up that's been rolled out. A couple of industry folks have, have said to me, have you had a chance to look at it and use it yet? I, I know um, it's a GSA program that they've that you won't be asked them to take on and take care of. Any thoughts on any patients, any advice for folks who are frustrated today, but maybe give it some time, uh, uh, words of advice? Yeah, I say give it some time because, you know, as we're shifting the data collection, right, uh, GSA also had to modernize their back end and how they collect data from the from agencies, right? So there was a whole, there was a whole uh, re-architecture, if you will, of the whole back end, not just the front end and making the pages different, but how we're set up uh, and making sure that, you know, changing how the data is collected from the agency. We changed what data is collected from the agencies, right? We cut out about a hundred data elements that we weren't using, how it's presented on the dashboard. So there's been a lot of change, uh, not just the architecture, but the front end. So this is the first iteration of it. So I would say, you know, a little patience, right? I know it was, uh, we had to wait till the budget was released before the, it was able to go live, but I would tell people just give it a minute, a little bit of patience um, as we continue to get more data in there and really standardize and, and get data from the entire IT portfolio, not what was previously just major investments and the like. All right. I know a lot of us are not very good at patience, but uh, I think it's, it's good advice. People have to understand these are big programs, big projects, a lot of data, and, and things will kind of evolve in time, just like we saw with, uh, for instance, SAM.gov. And I imagine we'll see with some others. Maria, this has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, I could talk to you much longer, but uh, I will let you go back to your days of retirement, of, of rest, relaxation, and leisure. 
Let me uh, thank my guest. Maria Rote is the recently retired federal deputy chief information officer. Maria, thank you so much for your time today. And of course, thank you for your 40 plus years of federal service. Great. Thank you so much, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. Your favorite band's about to play a sold-out show. You got in... Over here! ...with a friend and found a spot close enough to see the set list. They're definitely playing your song. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Your story. It lives in River City. Where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small-town feel. Where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another. Where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha, told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives.